0: Hello, everyone. This is the Gain podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. Thank you so much for joining us in what is a very difficult time for everyone. We are continuing to social distance here on the podcast. So joining me remotely from different corners of London, are Gregor Robertson and Alison Rudd. Gregor and Alison, how are you both?
1: Very well, thank you. Good, thank how you? you.
0: How are you? Yes, I am well too. Uh, either of, I mean, Alison, we always we speak to you
2: uh,
0: a lot on this podcast. you mentioned a few times you like to play tennis. How are you coping with not being able to do all that sort of stuff?
2: Just played tennis in the garden. Keepy-uppy. Oh. How many could we get to? <laughs> ping, 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 ping. Bit boring, but it, it, you've got to try. You've got to try these things. Add an element of competition. So tomorrow you I've got do. to beat 70 with my son. It's a very low total. I'm embarrassed, but we were we were we were having a laugh,
0: so it's fine. I like that, Greg, Are you doing anything equally as competitive?
1: Yeah, I ordered some kettlebells, so I think our neighbours are getting a, a really good laugh at us throwing around some weights in the back garden every now and then. And also, <laughs> a friend a friend of mine started this WhatsApp group that's uh, kind of beat your press up challenge. So every day we've got to do as many press ups as we can, and uh, and oh. post a, a picture or a film of. Uh, of how many we've got so it's like a kind of there's about 40 people in this all very competitive wow yes i'm keeping active how many have you
0: got to uh 40 i don't know whether that's good or bad
1: but that's what it is
0: (laughs) well you can only better it tomorrow hopefully um (laughs) coming up We are going to talk favourite football films and we're also going to discuss whether player wage cuts are the only way to fill the financial void left by the lack of live action. Plenty more then to come right after this. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more
3: to iPhone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
0: The National League has asked the FA to officially end the 2019-20 season by cancelling all remaining fixtures because of this coronavirus pandemic, but how the final standings and, crucially, promotion and relegation will be determined is yet to be decided. The decision would have a direct impact on the league above it, with League Two and, therefore, the rest of the EFL and Premier League. The top two tiers of the National League are currently suspended until the 3rd of April, but it is understood the organisation does not want to extend this date further as the higher leagues have over concerns over the futures of non-league clubs. Gregor, if we come to you first on this, is this the right decision that the National League are making?
1: Um, it just opens up a can of worms and we knew this was going to come. Um, I don't even think that this, this statement was meant for public consumption. Apparently it was it was circulated to all the football clubs on, on a Tuesday evening and, and Borum Woods put it on their website. And then, understandably, everyone got into a bit of a spin about it. Um, and it doesn't actually say the word cancel. It says postpone all remaining games. It, it's obvious that is the ultimately what they want to happen. They want the season to be brought to a close as soon as possible because clubs at this level can't afford to keep playing, paying their players with no income. Um, but it, still, like I say, it opens up a can of worms. And clubs like Barrow... Who have been top of the league for five months, 48 years outside of the Football League, look like kind of creating a little bit of history. And actually, when they were last in the Football League, they were controversially refused re election because of their sort of isolated location in the North West. And they're still a little bit bitter about that. So we can only imagine what they would feel like if this season was declared null and void uh, when they look like making it back into the Football League after so long. Um, and as you say, there's ramifications on the rest of the of the pyramid um would be pretty pretty huge. And obviously there is the fact that, that Bury uh Bury no longer exists essentially and there's only ninety one clubs of the ninety two so that potentially would open up a little window to promote a team like Barrow. But then there's obviously teams in the in the playoffs like Harrogate Town and Knotts County below them, both in very good form, who would be very upset about that. So I mean, this statement really doesn't clear anything up. It just makes it makes it obvious that the, the, the clubs can't afford to, to continue with kind of pushing the fixtures back into the long grass. They need some clarity now, but they haven't really been provided mm. with it.
0: Uh, it's a very difficult situation that the non-league clubs find themselves in, as well as the National League governance if you like Uh, if no more games are played Alison does the season then have to be null and void or can the final standings be determined in any sensible way
2: well I I mean Gregor's spot on the the headlines were were a bit premature and that the concept of it being null and void and in fact that that the, the the various people in charge at those clubs want that is is not really true they were simply trying to get the message across just how difficult it is for them at the moment and in in, in an ironic sense having had this panic over scrapping the season has made it more clear that there isn't a will to do that 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 you just have to somehow just have to somehow make sure the uh the season is is finished and I just do not believe there's a way of extrapolating from what we have and putting it through or just saying this season doesn't count because if that decision is um financially difficult for just one club they will take legal action and that legal action will set a precedent and that will seep upwards through the pyramid as well as downwards and then you just find the whole of football in this country in a a moray of litigation and um, uh, bad will, whereas we're still at the moment where I think there's goodwill and there is a sense that we have to find a way to make sure the fairest outcomes are possible. And the only fair outcome is that you wait and then you play out the remaining games. There aren't that many. It is doable.
0: Well, this is it, isn't it? Uh, you're absolutely right, Alison, because obviously if, if if they were to null and void and cancel this season, there will be a lot of lawsuits that take place which will have ramifications for the leagues above and, and below, as you've rightly pointed out. And then people will start saying you can't do the same for Liverpool, for example. You can't give them the title without maybe promoting teams from the Championship and relegating teams to the Premier League. I mean, it's all going to cause a lot of problems. But we do have to talk about the hypotheticals in, in some ways, Gregor. And uh, the EFL will be under pressure, if they do void this National League, they'll be under the pressure of the EFL to, to scrap relegation from League Two, which will raise then questions over the competition's purpose when it hopefully
1: resumes. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that part of this is to, is to kind of, they need to, they need to take some guidance from the EFL. There's, the two are, are linked to, uh, this is almost, a, in relative terms, a similar gulf between the Championship and the Premier League. Because clubs in the National League get funding of about seventy thousand pound a year, and if you get into the, to the EFL, that rises to one point two million pounds. So it's a huge, you know, it's a huge amount, a huge difference for these football clubs potentially. Um, and I think they really they need some guidance because it's not something, it's not a decision you can take on your own. Um, I also think it sort of highlights the dearth of leadership in the National League and from the by the F.A. I mean, if we remind ourselves that when the EFL and the, and the Premier League were suspended, what was that, less than a couple of weeks ago now, the, the FA and the National League essentially left it to each member league and the clubs to decide whether they wanted to play or not. And th- those games should never have taken place. And now uh, uh, there's been a leaked statement that doesn't say a great deal. And I think really they're just, they're kind of scrapping around <laughs> trying to find the answer here. And I think they need some guidance from above because... As we've, as have said, all of these leagues are, are sort of linked, and, and there's no way that you can have a team not getting being being granted promotion, and then you know the the, the ramifications go on and on throughout the league. So uh, I think really everyone needs to act a little bit a little bit quicker because there are teams in the League Two as well who financially are uh, they won't have much longer that they can survive if they have to continue playing players without having games.
0: But obviously, Alison, the EFL do need to find another club to get the leagues back up to 72 EFL sides.
2: Yeah, yeah I mean, I I, I I, know you're saying we have to discuss the hypotheticals, but I think what has emerged is that there's no need for that. That if everybody involved in football accepts that you you, do, you finish the season, then then all these hypotheticals mm-hmm are unnecessary and you do it and gregor says the, the smaller clubs need guidance from the EFL they can offer more than just guidance you know they've got they've got the best um contract makers the best lawyers the best legal teams the best everything there and they can they can share that information they can talk about they can talk constructively about how to put their clubs on hold until they're allowed to play again most things seem are in a panic at the moment that the fact that you, you've got no income coming in and the main panic here was that it that people in charge wanted clarity because they needed to sort out player contracts they just needed to know they wanted information and they wanted to know that their organizations could survive and their knowledge is power if there's going to be one good thing that comes out of all this, it should be a sense of how every division is interlocked and how for every crowd of 60,000 you have an elite game in this country, that has its roots in the fact there is a crowd of 220 in a National League match. It's all interconnected and I don't think people realise that until we started talking about how you have the correct number of teams and what you how you, ha, how the the acts of promotion and demotion are are relevant and important and have to be consistent right the way through
0: Well, you talk about the interconnection. One of the hot topics of the week is where the money should come from to fill the financial void that has been left by no live football in England. Premier League chief executives are set to discuss the prospect of asking players to take pay cuts when all 20 clubs stage their next video conference, which is on April the 3rd. Now, we have seen individual players in Britain and also clubs in Germany as well and in Spain take voluntary cuts. In fact, Leeds United have become the latest side whose players and coaches have taken a wage deferred referral to help non-playing staff at the club. With clubs lacking gate and broadcast revenues currently, should it then fall on the players to take a pay cut to bridge the gap before the return of football? Gregor, if you were playing now and let's say you're at Northampton, they come to you and say, Gregor, we we need you to take a a 30% pay cut. Or let's just say you're you're playing in the Premier League and you're earning a a fair wage or even more, more than a fair wage. Would you be up for taking a pay cut?
1: Well I think the, the kind of separation of those two is quite important. I think Yeah. If I was playing for a club and as you say it was to keep people employed, you know, the the office staff and the grounds groundsmen and people like that, if it's to keep them in a job and to keep the club afloat, then of course. Um, but I mean there also you also have to remember that I actually I spoke to Ian Evatt yesterday, the, the barrow manager, and he said the average age of the average wage of those their players is seven hundred pounds a week. So you, there's not much, it's not, you know, it goes up in League Two, um, but there are clubs, Macclesfield for for one, who pay that kind of money and if you're asking them to take a wage cut, someone who's got a mortgage and kids, there's not a lot left to kind of, there's not, there's very small margins there. So that's the first thing and the higher up you go, yes, Leeds and Birmingham uh, deferring wages, they're essentially hoping that they'll get it back at some point as well when the season uh, restarts. Um but it's important, a bit, the the kind of we differentiate what what this money would be for, you know, if it's if it's to to help your club survive and and help keep people employed, then of course. But you know, there's also been a lot of talk about Premier League players foregoing twenty percent of the wages and and creating a fund to for money to drip to kind of feed down the pyramid a little bit. Um, and there's so many sort of issues to to, to look at with that in terms of. Mm. Who the money would be going to? There's some pretty questionable characters in charge of some of these clubs. Um, what's it for? Is it to pay the players? Uh, some of them will be out of contract in the next few months. Uh, and there's also this sort of kind of idea that Premier League footballers are all this one homogenous group that are all stupendously wealthy. When I, I've been writing a regular column with Simon Francis uh, for the Times the last couple of weeks and yeah, I just got to thinking. He he played. He didn't reach the Premier League till he was thirty. He played in League Two, League One, the Championship for teams like Bradford, Grimsby, Trammere, Southend. When he signed for Bournemouth in two thousand eleven, they were in League One. Uh, so he reached the promised land at the age of thirty. He will by no means be. He'll be wealthy, but he's he's not. He's not someone who's played for a, an elite top six club. You know, if if we try and just band everyone into a, into one group, we need to know what it's for. Um, and I'll you know. I think often the 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 truth could be that there are some of the kind of leading journalists and people working in the media who are calling for this philanthropy from from Premier League footballers could have been earning more than Simon Francis for the first 13 years of his career. That's the truth of the matter so you know we can't we can't just group everyone into into one category. Yes, players can can do things on, by their by themselves, you know, and they often do. And the other issue is that if we're asking a Mo Salah to put money into a fund to help out Macclesfield Town, uh, who he's probably never heard of, um, he, he's probably got... He, he's from Egypt. He's pro- this pandemic is global. It's spreading around the world and, and there's probably causes back home that he would want to support. So, you know, there is a lot of different, different things to look at in this and I think it's slightly too easy to just say Premier League footballers are loaded. Let's take 20% of the money and that'll help the pyramid. Mm.
0: Alison does it surprise you in some ways that the Premier League are going to come together on April the 3rd and already discuss the prospect of players taking pay cuts the fact that Leeds and Birmingham are already doing it that they're doing it at this stage already the season isn't hasn't long been paused
2: yeah well I mean there's lots of reasons for that I mean and one of them is I think there's a there's a real need to be seen to be doing something rather than just just sitting back and wallowing in self-pity. It, everyone feels better if you're proactive. Um, I think Gregor made some really good points. It's so much easier if a club like Bayern Munich have done, and you say, "Yeah, we're on. We're on huge wages. We'll all we'll all take a pay cut, and we'll make sure the people, uh, you know, the part-timers in the club, everyone connected to the club, they're not laid off, and they can all earn a, a living wage. That's fine because they're a family, and you know where the money's going." Uh, you know, if 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 you're a well-run club, you will you will have, have passed the 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 various people who work around the grounds and and, have, and, and at least nodded to them. You will know they've got families. It, it's just so much easier if you keep it within within your club that act of generosity. And then, it, but then if you widen it, it becomes it does become murky. And there are as as Gregor uh, hinted, there are clubs that just are not well run, and they should not. You know be profiteering if you like from a pandemic by being bailed out accidentally because you know their financial troubles happen to coincide with an act of generosity from organizations that they that they don't know and players they they've never met and have no connection with them and and so that that it is difficult but I think we could probably take it to a higher plane and think that we could create there is enough money at the top of the game for a fund to be created that can be and the way that happens in all charities that are well run, you have a trust that makes sure that the money doesn't get wasted and it's it's goes to the right places in the right manner, and there's no comeback that it's been misused and that people's generosity has been abused. So there, I think I don't think it's uh, uh, you know unimaginable to think that that Mo Salah might be happy to contribute to a fund that is is run. Uh, run separately and make sure that the money only goes to those who are needy and rather than people who, who just you just are in, are in a bad situation because they would have been anyway whether there had been this pandemic or not it's mm. it, that's that's the only way but I'm not I'm no, to answer your question I'm, I'm I'm not at all surprised that this is being talked about so soon because there is I think it just makes you feel it just makes you feel better I mean, your mental health's better if you're doing something to help. And if you've got money, then that's the, the obvious thing you can do to help someone is to spread it out.
0: I mean, ultimately, Gregor, as Alison has just pointed out, this possible emergency fund, let's say, um, could be an idea. And do you think the football family, we always talk about the football family, but this is when they have to come to the fore to perhaps come up with a solution going forward to help clubs or help players who are possibly going to end up in some sort of crisis?
1: Yeah, look. If there's any way of that of that happening, then we need to do it. And I think I just feel that if we're asking for the burden of that to fall upon players as individuals, um, or even to kind of collectively agree on that. I mean, I I've been in change. I've been in football clubs that have been in administration and been asked to to take wage deferrals, and and, and players are not very keen on doing this because, as I say it's a short precarious career um so it's not it's not easy and i don't think the burden should fall upon players i think if there is a lot of money in in at the elite level of the game in premier league clubs if it was to come from premier league clubs and perhaps in a roundabout way that would eventually come from footballers and um and taking wage deferrals and perhaps you know a percentage of the cut that they were taking could go towards a fund then yes but i think if you were to ask players to, to contribute to a fund, uh, and you don't know where the money's going to, I think, really, to be brutally honest, I don't think you would have much success.
3: The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport,
1: please stay on board. Next stop, road station.
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.
3: You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
0: Let's move on to something a little bit lighthearted, shall we? The 2019 movie Diego Maradona aired on TV this week with many enjoying having some football to watch on our screens with never before seen footage of the Argentine legend transforming the teams of Barcelona and Napoli with a few bumps along the way. Uh, With most of us stuck indoors over the next few weeks, we thought here on the game pod we'd come up with some football films that we could recommend to you, our listeners. And we put out a tweet a little bit earlier on, and we've already had some suggestions. So I'm just going to read out a few of those. David McGuinness recommends Hero Mexico 86. That's the first football video he says he remembers seeing. Greg Small recommends the new Maradona film, but he says, Escape to Victory takes some beating. Uh, Chris Southall also mentions there's only one Jimmy Grimble, and also an honourable mention from Nick Bruzon, who's gone for When Saturday Comes. So there are a few suggestions there, but what do our panel think is their favourite football film, Alison?
2: Well, this is this funny? Because last night I made the family watch The English Game, which is on Netflix. It's about how football evolved in the late 1800s <laughs> my son said he stared at it for a bit and he went oh my word this was made just for you mum it's costume drama and it's football what more can you want because I am I am I am a bit I'm a bit partial to a bit of a bit of Downton and and all that sort of nonsense and 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 football too so um I mean that is that is the uh, ultimate escapism for a girly football <laughs> <laughs> the dialogue's <laughs> atrocious. But it has started it has started dialogue in the house about how much of it is true. Because we live um I live in Barnes, which is where uh Ebenezer Cobb Morley is buried. And we often <laughs> believe it or not, we often go and uh visit his grave and play, pay tribute to him because he's the man who ratified the laws of the game and made sure we're not to this day uh kicking footballs with nails in our boots and um you know, just turning up with as many players as we like. And uh, so we we do like the history of the the game in this house. And it is, I mean, it's been fun to watch how the influence of Scottish football, where in England, when we started playing football, it was all, it was just, it was mad kick and rush, all rush up and no one thought that passing it might be the answer. And then a few Scots were imported to say, look, if you, you can make space, if you make a run and someone finds you with a pass, and so my sons have been going, really? So in Scotland, Scotland led the way. So <laughs> how things have changed. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> That has been fun. Has been fun. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But uh, and as a general rule, I can't abide fictionalised sport, let alone fictionalised football. I mean, sport and football are so incredible, and usually you couldn't make it up. So what's the point in trying? Um, so, uh, so if if you want uh, a, a single recommendation, it would be the Damned United because that is beautifully, yes. wittily written, and Michael Sheen is is one of the best character actors going. And it's about um, Brian Clough, and he captures him so perfectly. And you, it's mm. sort of half real, half unreal. It's sort of made up, but it's based on reality, and it's just rollicking good watch.
0: Yes, yeah, the Damned United that that's a good choice. Um, Gregor, come on then, what have you got for us?
1: I could recommend another uh, Brian Clough on I Believe in Miracles, which is a, it focuses more on the, the kind of forest fairy tale of promotion from uh, the second division to becoming first division champions, European Cup winners. Uh, brilliant soundtrack directed by a guy called uh, Johnny Owen. Um, interviews with all the kind of greying heroes of that, that era, and that's, that's brilliant. But the one I'm going for uh, is a film called Scotland 78, A Love Story. Sorry, this is quite a uh, (laughs) Scotland-centric podcast, (laughs) Um, but it was on it was on uh, BBC Scotland in 2018. It's still on the iPlayer, so you can you can get this. Um, And it was basically a documentary about the year that Scotland thought we'd we genuinely thought we were going to win the World Cup in Argentina. (laughs) As mad as that sounds, Uh, (laughs) and it's it's absolutely it's a gem. You laugh and cry. There's kind of You know, archive footage of there was tens tens of thousands of people lining the streets in Glasgow, like at the airport, 30,000 at Hamden, all just waving the team off. Um, There's kind of personal diaries of of fans who spent weeks and weeks making the voyage to Argentina, quit their jobs. One guy met his wife there. Um, There's there's these other fans who, who laid miles and miles of cable up in the Highlands just so they could get a TV to watch the games because they genuinely thought, we had a chance to win it. We had a team with Kenny Gleish, Graham Sumner, Joe Jordan, Lou Macari, Archie Gemmell, Gordon McQueen. Players playing for you know Man United, and Liverpool, at the top of uh, English and European football. And uh, you know, as most many people, I'm sure, know, it, we didn't win the World Cup. Uh, <laughs> I think we you know we lost to lost to Peru, drew with Iran. Uh, we did have the the, the best. Kind of goal in Scottish football history scored, which has been immortalised by train spotting also as well. Um, and there's also bits about the the manager, Ali McLeod, who was this real maverick who who again said we're good enough to bring the World Cup home, and he became such a kind of really tragic figure, um, almost a kind of disgrace, a national disgrace. That sounds strong, but and there's kind of interviews with his wife and children about the impact that it had on him, and it's really, really sad. But it's a, it's a happy film as well, so I would thoroughly recommend anyone who's not seen that to go on the iPlayer and watch it. Uh, Scotland 78, a love story.
2: Gregor, it's only fair that Scotland do win the World Cup because you invented passing football, so it's not that ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're too kind.
0: <laughs> Have either of you watched that Maradona film?
1: Yes. I'm saving
0: it. You
2: can't watch all the good stuff in one go in this lockdown.
0: Ah, oh, it's, it's so to be
1: right. It was just an absolute gem. You, you just the kind of you're blown away by how just the, how he, his life was completely. You know, he couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't move, and, and he was no. it must have been so oppressive for him. Uh, mm. But you know, it's a brilliantly made film, and. Um, I think I've, I've got it recorded, so I'm sure we've got some time on our hands. I think I'll watch it again soon.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to say, because if anyone hasn't seen it and you are listening right now, would highly recommend it. And it is one of those films, actually, I I don't remember Maradona that well in his playing days, but obviously famously remember the hand of God and the fact that he was vilified so much. But you end up watching this film and feeling sorry for him by the end of it with what happens in Italy after Italia 90. So I do thoroughly recommend it. It's a great watch. That is for sure. Uh, Okay, that is it for now. Many thanks to Gregor and Alison. You may find yourself with a little bit more time on your hands in the coming weeks. So do remember you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we will be back with you on Monday for The Game podcast. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone.
3: The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers. Airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station.
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.